Uh, earlier this week, I was sitting at the kitchen table with my six-year-old daughter, Amelia, and I told Amelia, Amelia, we are just a couple of days away from Easter. I said, it's a big day. It's the day that we celebrate that Jesus arose from the grave. And she looked at me and said, I know that already. Mom told me. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I'm going to tell you again. And as I was thinking about that, I thought, you know, sometimes there are stories in Scripture that become pretty familiar to us. You know, stories that we've heard again and again and again, and we're looking for a, a fresh angle. We're looking to find a little nugget that we didn't know uh, before. We want to hear something in a, in a fresh or unique and a different way. Uh, maybe that's you this morning. And so my prayer for you and my prayer for me is that, uh, that these words would fall fresh uh, on your heart this morning. Would you pray with me? And then we'll dive in. Father God, thank you so much for uh, your grace and goodness to us. Thank you for uh, old and familiar stories that your word says are living and active. Uh, thank you that you use words written thousands of years ago to change hearts and lives even today. Lord, we pray that you might do that in these moments that we have together this morning. I pray for your Holy Spirit to be our teacher and our guide. Lord, I pray that uh, you would uh, just help me speak uh, with boldness and clarity for your name's sake. God, we love you. We commit our moments to you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name and by your Spirit. Amen. I have a friend in my life who is fond of uh, sharing with me when uh, something new comes out, whether it's a new little uh, gadget or a new app or a new way of doing something. He'll come up to me and he will say, dude, you have to get this. It will change your life. Two years ago, I was traveling with this individual and he told me, dude, do you have Apple Music? And I said, no, what is Apple Music? And he said, dude, dude, he said, $15 a month and you can download any song you want. Dude, it'll change your life. And so I thought to myself, that sounds exciting. I want my life to change. I'm going to sign up. I can tell you two years later, Two years after subscribing to Apple Music, I have more songs. And that's about it. <laughs> I don't know if it really changed my life. It gave me access to more music, uh, but I don't know if it changed my trajectory. Right? I don't know if things are a whole lot different than they were before. So I'm always a little hesitant when I hear someone tell me, James, these words are going to change your life. However, uh, these words uh, from the word, these words could change your life. Now, if you're a little bit like me and you have some doubts and you have some questions about whether or not that's true, uh, let me just remind you that I think there are words that you have heard and I have heard along the way that have changed our lives already. And maybe someone came alongside of you at some point in your life and said, I love you. Those words, those words can change your life. Uh, maybe someone who loved you came alongside of you and said, will you marry me? Uh, those words 
can change your life. The words were pregnant. Uh, Those words can change your life. The words, but it was on sale. Um, Those words won't change your life. It'll change your bank account. It won't change your life. But uh, there are words that have the potential to change your life. Uh, They're found in the Gospel of Mark, the 16th chapter. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me there. Mark chapter 16, uh, beginning in verse 1. Uh, Mark chapter 16, beginning in verse 1, reads, When the Sabbath was passed, uh, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. I want to stop there uh, for a moment. The gospel accounts oftentimes record that the people who first went to the tomb uh, to see Jesus were women. Uh, And the reason that's significant is because back in the day, the testimony of a woman was not held in high regard. Uh, If you were trying to prove a point, if you wanted someone to know that the story you were telling was valid, um, oftentimes you would not point to the testimony of a woman. Their their words were not as respected or held in high regard. And that's significant because I think the very fact that they include it in the gospel accounts is evidence that this is the way that it played out. Uh, If someone was trying to to conjure up a story or make something up, if there was a band of followers that thought to themselves, I just want to perpetuate this story that's been taking place, uh, more than likely they would not have included uh, the testimony of women. And yet we often find uh, in Scripture that those on the outskirts or the outside of society uh, play a prominent role in God's kingdom. Certainly uh, we see that here. Uh, Mark chapter 16, verse 4 says, And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, Tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. The words in uh, these verses have uh, the potential to change your life. Uh, The first words that uh, stick out to us when we read the text is the words spoken by uh, the messenger when he said to the three women, do not be alarmed. Uh, Do not be alarmed. Uh, That word for being alarmed or alarmed is translated fear in other places in the New Testament or dismayed. And so the messenger is speaking to the women saying, do not fear, do not be dismayed. And when I read that, I think to myself, if ever there is a time uh, to be dismayed or to be alarmed or to experience fear, it would be then. Right? Do you ever notice this? That there are times in Scripture uh, when we most need to hear something where Scripture uh, speaks words of life to us. 
Uh, And sometimes those words come at the most unique times. This is a unique time to me when I read the passage. Because if there was ever a time to be afraid, if there was ever a time to be dismayed, if there was ever a time to be alarmed, it would be after the death of Jesus. Right, this man that people had left everything to follow, the, the man who people looked at as the hope of the world, the man that people thought would, would help deliver the Jews from uh, the Roman oppression. If, if ever there was a time to be alarmed, it would be after that man, the one that people had, uh, had hoped in, had died. And he was... He, He was killed, he was murdered, he was buried, and you can imagine that his followers would have been dismayed. Because this is the one that they were trusting in, and all of a sudden, uh, he's gone. They followed him, some of them, for years. They left everything, some of them, to follow him. And now the one that they had hoped in had died. And so these women come to the tomb and they notice that the large stone in front of the tomb is rolled away, which, if you ask me, is a little unique, right? They would not have expected that. In fact, when the women are walking to the tomb, they think to themselves, "Um, (laughs) the the big stone in front of the tomb, who's going to roll that away? They hadn't thought all of this through, and yet when they show up, the tomb is rolled away, they come in, and there's a messenger uh, dressed in white, and the first thing that he says is, do not be alarmed. And I would think, um, hello, <laughs> stone is rolled away. I don't see where they put Jesus. And there's someone in a white robe talking to me. Right? That is a little unique. If ever there is a time to be alarmed, to be afraid, uh, it would be then. But you ever notice how God oftentimes speaks words of life uh, into us uh, during the times when we most need to hear them? I see, I believe that those words are beautiful words. Do not be alarmed. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Uh, Because all of us, if we were honest with ourselves, would admit that there are moments uh, in life uh, where we are all of those things, where we're afraid where we're alarmed, where we're dismayed. Uh, When life is not playing out the way that we thought it would, uh, when we face significant events in life, big things that we don't have answers to and we don't have solutions for, there's tons of times in life when we think to ourselves, I am afraid. Recently I went through an exercise um, where I was supposed to list all of my fears. Right? And I thought to myself when I started, I'll have a couple. Right? I don't know what I'm going to do. I was supposed to take like a half day, a day, go through this exercise, and, and a portion of it, of it was list all of your fears. And I'm like, well, I mean, I don't know. Like, I'll think of two or three things, you know, like snakes. <laughs> scared of snakes. Like big spiders. I don't, I don't like those. Sharks. Like, like something biting me in the ocean. But other than that, I thought to myself, I probably won't be able to think about anything until... I started thinking about it. Um, I was afraid of all of the things that I was afraid of. Right? I start writing this list, and I think about all the things in my life that I think about that consume my thoughts, the things that I care deeply about that I am not in control of. Right? Th- things like my children, right? their, their health, uh, relationships, uh, family, finances, my own health. I mean, I just start listing things. 
to start listing things, one after the next, after the next, after the next. And I just thought to myself, um, man, I'm a frightened person. Right? There's so many things that we are afraid of. And I think that God is so gracious with us because in those moments when we are afraid, he says to us, do not be afraid. Don't be alarmed. Commentators say that uh, that call to not be afraid or to not fear is written 365 times in all of Scripture. I I didn't stop to count all of those, uh, but something tells me that that is a command that we need to hear uh, just about every single day. So my question then becomes, why is it that we should not be alarmed or that we should not be afraid or that we should not be dismayed? How is it that Scripture can make such a claim? Well, we're told in Mark chapter 16, um, verse 6, he says, And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, he has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. These are beautiful words. Uh, he is risen. Uh, he is not here. Um, the phrase he is risen in the Greek is just one word. Right? The messenger just speaks one word to the women and says, he is risen. If he is risen, Uh, If Jesus is alive, then that changes everything. It changes everything. Um, Death has been defeated, right? Our greatest enemy, our greatest enemy, um, the thing that all of us, if we were honest with ourselves, would say that we are afraid of or that we fear death. Um, Death has been conquered. That is why Paul writes the church at Corinth and says, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Death has been defeated. Sin uh, has been paid for. And that truth, the truth of the empty tomb, uh, changes our lives forever. Uh, We can live and function as a victorious people. Uh, We know that regardless of what comes our way, we know what happens in the end. Right? We know how this plays out. We've been given hope in life. Uh, Two weeks ago, I was watching my beloved Michigan Wolverine basketball team as they played the University of Houston. I don't know if you're uh, a fan of the NCAA tournament, but I certainly am, and in particular I am when my team is playing. Uh, Unfortunately, Michigan uh, was placed in the West bracket. Okay, now, uh, for all of you who do not love geography, Michigan is really not West. But it's like west of New York. Uh, But when you think of like the wild, wild west, you probably don't think of Michigan. But they were placed in the west bracket. And the reason that that is significant is because that means that games start late. Like past my bedtime. Right? I'm like a 9, 9.30 kind of guy when I'm feeling edgy. Like maybe 9.45. But when tip-off is at 9.58, I'm thinking to myself, who do I need to talk to, right? I cannot stay up this late. So on this particular night when Michigan was playing Houston, I watched all of seven minutes of the game. I'm like, I'm exhausted. Like, I'm going to church tomorrow. Like, I have responsibilities. I need to go to bed. And so I recorded the game, and I said, well, I'll just watch it in the morning. So I fell asleep, and I woke up early in the morning. It was 5 o'clock, and I walked downstairs where we have a spare bedroom, and I noticed that the light was on in the bedroom. 
Uh, and I heard the television playing, and I thought, well, this, this is interesting. And so I walk in the room, and I see my oldest son, Cademan, uh, watching the game. Um, not only is he watching the game, but there is 30 seconds left in the game. I said, what time did you get up? Like, did you watch the whole game? He's like, no, Dad, I've only been watching, like, the last five minutes of the game, which in basketball time is like an hour. So I'm like, fantastic. He's been up since four watching the game. And I thought to myself, well, there's only 30 seconds left. I'm like, I'm going to watch it. I'm going to see what happens. I'm going to see how this plays out. And so I'm sitting there in the bedroom, and I'm watching the game, and Michigan has the ball, and, and the time is winding down, and the Michigan player drives the lane, and they're down by two points, and they go to tie it, and our player misses the layup. Right? Houston grabs the rebound, and Michigan fouls them. There's like 3.7 seconds left. So I think to myself, great. Great, it's over. It's over. They lost. They're out of the tournament. They were expected to win, and they lost. This is fantastic. I have to preach in a few hours, and they lost, right? I don't know if I'm in fellowship right now. And so I grabbed my phone, and Cameron goes, where are you going? I said, I'm leaving. I like, like, game's over. He's like, okay. So I walk out of the room, and I grab my phone, and I hit my little home button, and I go on ESPN.com, and I see a picture of a Michigan basketball player running with his hands outstretched in the air, and I go, I think I'm going to watch the end of the game. And I go back into the bedroom, and Caden like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, there's only like three seconds left. I'm like, we probably should watch the end of it and see how it plays out. And he's like, okay. Houston misses their two free throws. Michigan inbounds the ball. Uh, they pass it to a player who hits a three-pointer as time expires, and they run victoriously around the court. And I thought to myself, that might be the best 3.7 seconds I've ever lived in my life. <laughs> right? But you know why it was fantastic? It was fantastic because I knew how it ended. Like, I knew how it ended. Like, when I walked back into the bedroom, I thought to myself, I know how this plays out. I, I didn't know exactly who hit the shot. I don't, I don't know exactly what play they ran, but I know uh, that they scored the game-winning basket. I know that they won, right? And when you know how it ends, right, it changes everything. Right? Like, Christian, do you, do you know how this story ends? Like, do you know how it plays out for those who know and love the Lord? Like, we win in the end, right? We win in the end, and so it changes the way that we live. It changes the things that are important to us. It changes the things that we're passionate about. It changes the way that we operate on a daily basis. It, it changes the way that we approach our relationships or our finances or sickness. It changes everything uh, because these words were spoken. He has risen. He is not here. Um, those are beautiful words. There's beautiful words in this passage, but those words, those words, though they may be some of the most beautiful words in, past, in, in all of Scripture, but there are, there are more beautiful words. Right? They're found in verse 7. Look with me in verse 7. It says, the messenger said to them, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. You see the, you see the beautiful words in verse 7? Do you see the beautiful words? Because I didn't. And I didn't see him right away. I've, I've read that passage before. I looked at that verse, but I was reminded uh, a couple weeks ago that those words in verse 7 are beautiful words. 
I didn't realize this until I read a devotional by my friend Wade Johnston. He's a guy that I went to high school with, and he ended up uh, teaching at uh, a college. Good, good brother that knows and loves uh, the Lord. And he pointed out the beautiful words to me in verse 7 that I didn't see. And the beautiful words are, are really just two. And the two words are and Peter. And Peter. Now, maybe you're thinking, what? <laughs> Why are those words so beautiful? Why are the words and Peter such amazing words? Well, the reason that those two words are such beautiful words is because of uh, what we read about the Apostle Peter uh, just a, a chapter before this story. Uh, it takes place at the end of the 14th chapter in the book of Mark. It reads this in Mark chapter 14, verse 66. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came. And seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. And after a little while the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately uh, the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And Scripture says that Peter uh, broke down and he wept. Um, if, if that was the last scene of Peter's life, um, we probably could say, you know what? I get it. I get it. I and mean, if that was the end of his story, if we just leave Peter there, right, denying Jesus, all of us would probably say, yeah, probably doesn't deserve to be used by God, right? He had his big chance, right? This is Peter, right? Peter, the fire, ready, aim disciple, right? Peter, the one is so brash to... Uh, to overpromise and underdeliver, uh, the one who is quick to come alongside Jesus and say, "If everyone else disowns you, if everyone turns their back on you, I won't. You can count on me, Jesus. I'm not going anywhere, Jesus. I'll be by your side, Jesus. I'll stick with you, Jesus. I'm right here. I'm right here, Jesus. I'm right here." And then we read this account in Mark chapter 14 where uh, Peter has a case of Jesus amnesia. Right When push comes to shove, when things in his life began to unravel a little bit, when he felt just a little pressure from people going, hey, you're one of them, aren't you? You know him. Peter goes, no, I don't. I don't know who you're talking about. Man, how quickly Peter distanced himself from his Savior. Peter hears the rooster crow and he weeps. Uh, but here 
in Mark chapter 16. Uh, we read these beautiful words, but go tell his disciples and Peter. Right? Make sure you tell Peter. Right, I love that because the, the gospel is available uh, to people just like Peter. Uh, and if the gospel is for people like Peter, uh, then the gospel is for people like you and people like me. Right? Because all of us can look at the life of Peter and go, yeah, I got a little bit of that in me too. Man, I've, I've made some promises that I haven't kept. I've had those moments in life where I've said, Lord, I'm going to change. You can count on me. I'm not going anywhere, Lord. Only to find ourselves either saying or doing things that would indicate, hey, I don't know him. And yet, and yet we read uh, that the gospel, the gospel is for people like Peter. Go tell the disciples and Peter. Uh, that means that you can put your name right there. Right? And that means that I can put my name right there. Go tell the disciples and James. Right? Go tell them. Right? Go tell them. Right? Put, your, put your name there. Look at that verse. Circle it and put your name there because the gospel uh, is for you. The gospel is for you. Those are beautiful words and Peter. And there are more it says in verse 7, But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. Just as he told you. I love those words. I love those words. Just as he told you. In other words, uh, the words of Jesus, the words that Jesus spoke to you, uh, those words are reliable. Like you can bank on those words. He is a promise keeper. He's not going to change his mind and go, well, on second thought. No, Jesus said he was going to do something and he did it. Right? And I think oftentimes we live much of our lives listening uh, to either our own voice or the voices around us telling us things that are not true. Right? And we find ourselves following those voices at every turn. Right? And oftentimes those voices that we listen to and the voices that we follow are not trustworthy and not reliable. Uh, but, but here, uh, here we are reminded that the words of Jesus are reliable. There you will see him just as he told you. Right? You can count on the word of God. You can count on the words that Jesus spoke, not just to his disciples, but uh, to you and to me. I recently uh, read a story that was sent to me uh, by a friend about two gentlemen who went to the museum one day. When I first started reading the story, I thought to myself, well, that in and of itself is interesting because oftentimes you don't read stories about uh, two gentlemen going to the museum. But these two guys went to the museum and uh, they wanted to see a painting that was in the museum. Uh, and the painting depicted a picture of someone who looked like Satan uh, playing chess against another guy. Uh, and that guy was down to his last piece on the chessboard. The last piece on the chessboard when someone's whooping you in chess is your king. Right? He was down to his last piece, and the title of the painting was Checkmate. Uh, one of the gentlemen in the museum that day was a world champion chess player. 
Uh, and he kept on staring at this painting, and he couldn't get his eyes off of it. And he told his friend, listen, why don't you go around the museum, look around. Uh, I want to look at this painting more. And so he stood there, and he just stared at it. Eventually, his friend came back, and the world champion chess player said to his friend, we have to find uh, the one who painted this picture. And his friend said, well, well, why? He said, he either needs to change the name of the painting or he needs to change the painting. And his friend said, well, why is that? And the world champion chess player said, uh, because the name of the painting is Checkmate, but the king still has one more move. Right? The king still has one more move. Uh, when the women went to the tomb that day, they thought perhaps that it was checkmate. Um, they thought that that was the end of the story, that their hopes had been dashed, that the death of Jesus was the punctuation mark of his life, and that's all that there was. Uh, but we read in Scripture that the king still had one more move. Right? He had one more move. Hey, listen, Renaissance, if you are here this morning, I think Mark chapter 16 uh, has a word for you. I think there are some of us here who need to hear the words, do not fear. Uh, you're facing something insurmountable in your life. You don't know how it's going to play out. You don't know if it's going to work out, right? And you're scared. You're scared. And the God of the universe speaks these words to you today. He says, do not fear. Right? And the reason we do not have to fear or be dismayed is because of the empty tomb, because Jesus defeated death, because the gospel is good news uh, for people like Peter and people like you and me. The king still has one more move. Uh, if you are here this morning and you do not have a relationship with the God of the universe, Scripture teaches us that we uh, were dead in our trespasses and sins. God made us uh, to know him and to love him and to worship him. Uh, and we, in our brokenness and our fallenness, uh, went the opposite way. Uh, scripture says that because God is just and holy, uh, he cannot ignore our sin. He cannot turn a blind eye to it. He doesn't sweep it under the rug and go, hey, that's not such a big deal. Now, because it was such a big deal, God the Father sent God the Son to live a perfect life and to die a sinner's death. But he did not stay in the grave. Jesus defeated death and was raised uh, to new life. That life, that resurrection life, uh, is yours and mine today by faith in Jesus' finished work on the cross. Uh, my prayer uh, for you is that if you uh, do not know him, that you would come uh, to know him uh, by faith today. God always has one more move. And perhaps this morning he's moving in your heart and in your life today. I pray that you, by the grace of God, might find him. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you so much for your grace and your goodness that was demonstrated to us in the person and work of your son Jesus. Lord, thank you that in moments of fear and trepidation, that we can uh, come to you and hear the words, uh, do not be alarmed, do not be afraid. I pray the truth of those words would set into uh, our very being today. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would remind us each and every day that the gospel uh, is for people like 
Peter. It is for people like us. It is for uh, people who are broken, uh, who are needy, and who are desperate. Lord, remind us in this moment, right here and right now, uh, that the king has another move, that you're always moving, you're always acting. Lord, I believe that you're doing that uh, in our lives today. And so give us uh, open hands, open our eyes, uh, humble and soften our hearts. Help us uh, to see you today. Uh, God, we love you. We thank you so much for loving us first. We pray these things in Jesus' name and by your spirit. Amen.